Hi everyone, it's David Pembroke here. Listen, today's episode of Work With Purpose contains mentions of suicide, domestic assault and child abuse. Uh, If you do feel distressed during the episode, there is support available. Uh, Please call Lifeline's 24-7 support line on 13 11 14 if you do feel like you need someone to talk to. Thanks a lot. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Work With Purpose, a podcast about the Australian public sector and how it serves the Australian community. My name is David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. As we begin today, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet today, the Ngunnawal and Ngambri peoples, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and acknowledge the ongoing contribution they make to the life of our city and this region. And I'd also like to acknowledge the custodians of all the lands from where anybody listening to this podcast is joining us from. So it goes without saying that we all want to work for organisations where we are valued, supported and free to voice our ideas and our opinions. Not only is there the obvious benefit to the individual, but also, as numerous studies have found, it helps organisations to thrive and succeed if employees feel psychologically safe. New work health and safety regulations introduced on the 1st of April of this year to govern Australian workplaces have been designed to achieve these very aims. These regulations to build mentally healthy workforces prescribe how duty holders must engage and consult with workers to identify and manage hazards and risks to workers' psychological health and safety. Psychological safety is on the agenda of the federal government's secretaries' boards. All APS department heads met recently to revisit psychological safety as a tool to strengthen pro-integrity culture in light of the findings of the recent robo-debt royal commission. So today on Work With Purpose, we're joined by two experts on the topic to take a closer look at how we manage psychosocial risks in the workplace and how regulation in this space is changing to better support employees. Sarah Hawke has over a decade's experience in social policy reform and is currently leading suicide prevention and priority populations mental health reform in the Department of Health and Aged Care. She's held numerous executive leadership roles in social services and disability and has a passion for connecting people with community. She joins me now. Sarah, welcome to Work With Purpose. Thanks, David. It's great to be with you today. And Greg Vines is the Chief Executive Officer of ComCare, the Commonwealth Work Health and Safety Regulator and Workers' Compensation Authority. He is responsible for the day-to-day operations of ComCare, including its governance responsibilities and reporting requirements as a corporate Commonwealth entity. Prior to taking on this current role, he was the Deputy Director General of the International Labour Organisation from 2012 to 2022 and has held numerous leadership roles in various trade union organisations. Greg, welcome 
to Work With Purpose. Thanks very much, David. It's great to be with you. So, Sarah, listen, if I might start with you first, can you describe what you believe is a psychologically safe workplace? Yes, thanks, David. Um, to me, there's a real feeling when you walk into a, a, um, a workplace that is psychologically safe and it, and it is um, it is a place where people feel connected um, and um, engaged and, I'd say, empowered to contribute at all levels. Um, uh, that's really about understanding, uh, having a shared understanding of um, the organisation's purpose and how um, their role and team contributes and that there is a general culture of actively encouraging and supporting all staff to contribute ideas and raise concerns. And Greg, for you, what what do you believe is a is a psychologically safe workplace? I'm very very similar to Sarah, um, David. I think there's a few factors to it. One of them is very much around trust in the workplace. One where communication flows freely, where everyone can voice their ideas regardless of whether they're bold or challenging, uh, and they can do that without any fear of retaliation or ridicule. I, said, I think a second important aspect is around diversity and inclusion, where diversity isn't just tolerated, but it's actually celebrated. That Taking into account the varied backgrounds and perspectives of people are really the lifeblood of a healthy work environment, and recognising that every uh, voice matters, that there shouldn't be any fear of exclusion or bias, just the freedom to be authentic and, and to contribute in your own unique way. I think obviously support for employee wellbeing is critical. It should be a foundation, not an afterthought. And a psychologically safe workplace is one where employers prioritise and proactively support their employees' wellbeing. And I think also, of course, fair and ethical treatment is critical. Uh, it's got to be the norm. Unethical behaviours, things like bullying, harassment, discrimination, must be swiftly tackled, and grievances must be taken seriously. It's really about fostering a culture of respect where everyone is treated with dignity and fairness. And I think civility is also an important part of that workplace, that safe workplace, where the behaviours of common courtesy and decency that ensure a respectful and courtesy work environment and civility in the workplace can make a big difference to enhancing workplace culture. So I think psychological safe workplaces really lie in these pillars that creates an environment that respects, values and supports all workers, ultimately driving the collective success. So Sarah, th that creates a, a fairly clear picture of what you would imagine most workplaces would be striving for. But why is it that this doesn't happen in all cases? What what works against psychological safety in, in workplaces? So in my experience and having actually had the benefit um, of um, uh, in a former life of heading up um, the initial liability area of ComCare, um, what, what are really common areas of breakdown in terms of psychological safety in the workplace is about um, really poor communication um, failure to deal with emerging workplace conflict effectively, um, lack of um, role clarity and, and a lack of understanding of the organisational purpose, but 
most often it is really simple things um, around poor communication, consultation, and um, and, uh, and 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 often poorly managed change. Um, change is something that we're always um, having to support and manage in in the public service environment and. Um, it's really it, it can go wrong in so many at so many stages, um, and that that is often a key driver of um, psychological unsafety. And and also, um, I think the um, being really considered about how we do communicate and engage with people to make them feel heard and empowered is is an extra challenge that we have um, in a in a diverse environment where we're working um, across a number of um, virtual and often interstate um, interstate uh, with interstate staff. So uh, for me, it, it comes down to a lot of the things that um, Greg mentioned and, and, um, and in being authentic and, and genuinely taking the time to listen to and make sure people feel, um, understand what the, what the, areas of focus are and feel supported in, in um, being able to do their work. And what about for you, Greg? What, what do you see as those barriers that are working against um, productive, psychologically safe workplaces? Uh, look, I think to a large extent um, it comes down to, to respect in the workplace. You know, I've often said and, and most of my work has been around the dignity of work and I'd also like to extend that out to dignity at work. But if you want a safe environment, the diversity of people must be respected. The opportunities for people must be provided. You know, as I indicated before, things like bullying and harassment just simply cannot be tolerated in a workplace. And so it's really, I think, um, trying to bring out the uh, opportunities for people. We know that uh, safe, healthy, uh, psychologically safe and healthy workplaces are far more productive than the alternative. And I think that... uh, it's really a large part of it's the understanding from the employer's point of view, the preparedness for, for workers to really stand up for uh, that fairness in the workplace. And this really is a large part of the work that Comcare does that um, is trying to better equip and educate people to uh, identify these hazards, these risks and these events, but really to act swiftly to, uh, to ensure that health and safety uh, comes above all else in the workplace. So, Greg, why was it necessary to introduce um, these regulations from the 1st of April and how do you see them working in practice? Well, yeah, it's a really interesting point because we've had the uh, the Commonwealth Workplace uh, Health and Safety Act for over a decade now and it's always dealt with uh, psychological, psychosocial hazards and um, injury in exactly the same way as physical injury. However, I think it's been recognised over the last few years, and indeed a, a review uh, that was undertaken in 2018 identified that there was just simply a lack of understanding, a lack of appreciation of the, uh, in some cases, I think, genuineness, the complexity, uh, the causes, and the relationship to work in some cases. And so um, it was decided to amend the uh, uh, the regulation so that it became more explicit, that it uh, it really was aimed to strengthen and clarify how employers must manage the uh, the risks from for psychosocial health. 
Um, as you say, those amendments came into place on the 1st of April this year, and we're now working across jurisdictions to uh, to um, develop a code of practice that will assort, that will assist employers and indeed workers uh, identify and eliminate the risks, um, but really also to reinforce that obligation on employers to eliminate uh, though any psychosocial hazards of work, or at least to minimise them to the greatest extent possible. So it's really the regulations reinforce, or I suppose highlight because it needed highlighting, but reinforce the fact that um, psychosocial injuries and hazards must be dealt with in exactly the same way, with exactly the same amount of commitment, uh, if not even more, than what physical risks in the workplace uh, must be dealt with. So in terms then of Comcare's priorities in in supporting the development of uh, more uh, uh, awareness and, and better practice around social uh, psychosocial um, workplaces or safety in in the workplace. You mentioned there about the code of practice, you've mentioned about education, but how else are you supporting employers to be more aware and more able to deliver these types of working environments? Well, we've got a a range of, um, well, a wide range of uh, toolkits, of educational programs, of outreach um, activities that we engage in. Uh, These are all designed to, as I say, bring people up to a better level of understanding, but also in our regulator role, looking at um, alternative ways, more innovative ways of really trying to address some of these in the the workplace. So, for example, we've recently introduced a, a a proactive inspection program. We've set up a dedicated team within our uh, within our inspectorate to deal purely with uh, psychosocial health risks. They're now trialling some programs in, a, in, I think we've got three different employers that we're working with. And that program is to really um, look at how we can proactively avoid uh, these sorts of injuries in the workplace. It's to better understand the hazards and risks uh, and it's also, of course, being a regulator to, impri- uh, to improve compliance with the um, appropriate practices. But what we're trying to do in this approach is to, uh, to foster that compliance in a much more collaborative, cooperative way. Of course, we've got our regulator stick when we need when it, it comes to a situation that we must regulate, but we find it's far more effective, particularly in the case of uh, psychosocial uh, injury, that we can work effectively, cooperatively with the employer, with the uh, workers in that workplace to really try and um, change work practices. We've also, just in um, the uh, federal budget this year, we're allocated, uh, the government allocated uh, $2 million to better train health and safety representatives. So these are the elected worker representatives around um, mental health uh, issues in the workplace, the psychosocial hazards. Um, so that they can play a more effective part in their workplaces as well. And another really important um, piece of work we've we've just released, and all of this information is of course available on the on the Comcare website. But we've um, put together a fantastic program on good work design because we're offering, often finding that um, it, a lot of the um, uh, psychological hazards are related to poor uh, work design, poor. Uh, workload allocation, that lack of respect in the workplace. And so this toolkit that we've put together is really about supporting teams 
uh, to be engaged, to be productive. We know that organisations will attract and retain staff if they've got good um, uh, proactive practices in the workplace that avoid these sorts of risks and hazards. And certainly we know that um, uh, good work design, effective distribution of work, respect in the workplace um, results in better policy and service delivery. So, you know, there's a number of these measures that we um, are actively working across our jurisdiction and in several cases working across the other Australian jurisdictions as well in really trying to have um, not just great academic papers and theoretical um, approaches, but really on the ground support through training, through uh, sitting down and talking, through really taking a collaborative and cooperative approach to addressing uh, this challenge. And it is a massive challenge. It's now more than a third of the claims that ComCare receives on workers' comp uh, are psychosocial related. Workplace bullying is a major uh, proportion of those. So it's not just something that, you know, is something to talk about. It's something we've really got to be acting on. So, Sarah, in your experience, what are some of the challenges that leaders face when they try to implement these psychosocial principles um, in their workplaces? Yeah, there's... um there's um, they're really drawing on some of the areas that Greg's just highlighted. Um, in, I can probably think about um, three um, three areas of challenges that that I've experienced um, in different roles um, in the public service across service delivery, policy, and um, and uh, a range of areas. Um, and one of them is is unique. Um, to the area that I work in now, and that's in mental health and suicide prevention. So it's around um, managing the inherent risk of the nature of some of the work that we do in the public service. So we so often um, in our service of the public work with people who, members of the public who are experiencing really significant distress, for example, um, providing support and help and responding to people impacted by natural disasters, um, people who are experiencing significant financial hardship, um, often family breakdown, domestic violence. Um, we also administer the scheme responsible for supporting financial support for survivors of childhood um, abuse. And in my current role, we work with people who um, who are experiencing or caring for people who are, who are experiencing significant mental or suicidal distress and they're looking for help from government. So it's really important that we work with staff to ensure that they've got the right skills and training, that we understand what the risks are um, to be able to help um, put in place processes to manage that risk. Um, one of the things that we have done uh, we uh, recently um, is to establish um, a distressed um, management and escalation protocol and providing you know, clarity to um, staff about what they are and are responsible for in relation to responding to uh, distressing stories and call for help and and to um, make sure um, supervisors and managers are equipped to be able to look out for and um, support staff and properly manage the allocation of work. 
But as we know, despite all the good training and processes we have in place, um, sometimes people are impacted and that's why really good supervision, trust and communication is so important to be able to quickly and appropriately respond to um, a, a situation where an employee has been exposed to and affected by something distressing in the co- in the course of work. And if we take um, that action to notice and respond early, then we can have a, a real um, make a real difference to the to the impact of that um, exposure. Another area um, that Greg touched on that's a, a constant challenge, I think, in managing um, psychological safety principles in the workplace is uh, workload allocation and management. Um, Again, despite all the efforts in building capacity and capability and good systems and processes, when people are under pressure, some of these break down and create um, individual and workplace stress. So it's it's really important to, um, to create the time and space to be able to um, empower staff to find new ways of working and and you know, basic approaches in reprioritizing and deprioritizing work. But um, sometimes, and and I think we're experiencing that at the moment, it, that where there's it's difficult to recruit and and retain skilled staff, and and or we're facing budgetary constraints that we really do have to work with staff to find creative solutions to manage um, work work load stress. Um, probably one of the final ones that I'd like to reflect on is around, again, change management. Um, in addition to the constant change, we often need to manage as public servants and, and leaders, and there's some really good training and resources to to do that carefully and take the time to do that in a planned way. In some roles, often in service delivery, the systems and processes that have been established over a long time no longer serve us and serve the public. And that change management takes a lot of time and needs to be done carefully, but it can also be really difficult when you're relying on areas outside of um, our control, like... um, you know, ICT infrastructure and, and budgetary constraints. So there are quite a number of challenges really to try to embed this into best practice and to normalise it as a way of people, as you say, managing workloads, um, fairly distributing work, uh, understanding some of those really challenging contexts. But on top of that, uh, we now have um, work from home where more and more people are working uh, remotely from their uh, central office. Uh, Greg, to you, how how are you seeing working from home um, impacting on, uh, you know, psychologically safe workplaces? Yeah, well, it's, it can be a bit of a, a double-edged sword, David, and, and you mentioned that previously um, I was with the ILO and uh, we certainly did quite a bit of work on this Looking globally, um, you know, in the aftermath of the the main impact of COVID, where uh, you know work from home went from a uh, a rarity to the to the absolute norm, and certainly, and um, what we're seeing now is that there is there is no question for many many people working from home is a great um, 
uh, boost for their mental health. They feel much more in control of their lives. They feel much more in, in control of their work. Um, they're able to uh, work in an environment which which much might, which might be much more conducive to their to their overall health and well being. The other side of that coin is though, um, it can lead to to other forms of bullying. It can lead, of course, to to cyber bullying, which we all know about. But it can lead to bullying through exclusion. Uh, it can lead to missed opportunities for for people who uh, aren't in the in the workplace um, uh, and in, and engaging and embracing with others on a regular basis. So I think we really need to be uh, to be quite careful with it. Certainly, um, I would say that the benefits on working from home outweigh the disadvantages. But we can't just say to people work from home and then forget about them. We've got to make sure that the support continues uh, into that environment. That the the regular communication um, uh, channels stay open. Uh, that um, we we have to accept that most of the work we do these days, most of the communication, work related communication, is going to be hybrid. Some people will be sitting in the room. Some people will be sitting behind the screen. We've got to ensure that work practices um, accept. Uh, and embrace, and indeed, I'd say encourage both of those practices. But we can't just think that because they're not in the office, we don't need to worry about them. We've got to make sure that the appropriate practices apply to work wherever uh, work is done. And I think also um, for some employees where um, uh, working from home can also be quite an isolating situation, it can further exacerbate problems um, where people are working in a home environment that... Uh, uh, might have conflict in it or that might not have um, the capacity for people to to be able to work properly. Um, that can have impacts on their mental health and well-being as well. So there's you know it's really very much a circumstantial um, situation. We've got to have the capacity to to work individually with workers in some cases, but I think particularly for teams uh, teams of workers to be able to work together to to find the ways, uh, the best suit their working arrangements, and of course for managers to be in there proactively supporting that, because um, there's benefits to employers by having people working in different locations as well, of course, and uh, employers must ensure that that um, that those benefits are uh, equally shared and the proper protections and support uh, are provided to workers regardless of where they're working. And Sarah, your experience, not only are you working, as you mentioned before, in that very challenging context of um, suicide prevention, mental health reform, but clearly you're managing teams who are working remotely. What what have you been doing to, to make sure that you are uh, providing the best possible work environment for the people who, who work with you? Yeah, and I think it is it is very individual, but the and and um, and uh, a, a double-edged sword, as um, Greg mentioned, um, but setting up really good supervision and support um, is even more important to manage um, remote working. It's got to be more regular. There's got to be greater thought and consideration being put into how you communicate. Where um, sort of more more effort to to talk on the phone or um, virtually rather than sending emails which are capable of being misunderstood and um, um, compensating for those um, uh, usual casual conversations that you would have in the office about how work is delegated is really important to think carefully about 
with um, interstate and remote staff who can feel um, isolated and, and disconnected and setting up those opportunities to do teamwork. There's some really good um, resources like Miro and um, we've purchased a few um, products that we can um, interactively engage even doing um, doing um, quizzes to enable more social participation. For staff in our um, central office, we have established um, team days to connect, but outside of this um, for interstate staff, um, they we've supported them to establish a, a staff network who meet with me regularly to provide feedback about what we can do better or differently to support and, and engage them in our work across the teams and make up for those face-to-face conversations and opportunities. It's really important, I think, to try and create some face-to-face opportunities around team um, branch planning where people can, where you make the most of having um, the time in the office to to create the, that social connection and relationship um, building opportunities. Um, and uh, um, for us, um, we've We've had a great initiative in establishing a culture club where we have um, where we have uh, sort of portfolios um, and representatives from across teams, and those representatives are often our in, mostly include our interstate staff, and they're responsible for um, coming up with initiatives to promote um, communication and connection, uh, um, as uh, uh, as well as um, in areas of understanding across the work of teams, um, learning and development, social enhancements and wellbeing is a real key focus of the the Culture Club. And again, they meet regularly with me to um, to guide us in, in what we can do better and differently to connect our um, remote and interstate staff. Um, I, I think in many ways, working in mental health and suicide prevention, it's kind of easier to um, invite conversations about wellbeing and um, we're fortunate to work with organisations like Are You OK, Help, and Mates in Construction, to name a few, who do amazing wellbeing initiatives in the workplace that we can learn a lot from. Um, <clears throat> and um, I think I'd, I'd really encourage... Um, uh, <clears throat> all staff um, in thinking about how you um, work uh, both with your teams face-to-face and um, remotely to to have a look at the APSC's Compassionate Foundations training, which is a really interactive um, six-module um, training suite that supports um, people to build their interpersonal and self-care skills. It's really about being a good human and fostering positive interactions, um, including how to manage those virtually um, and, um, and, and and really good lived experience uh, representation and feedback in the, the interactive modules to to create um, space to to connect um, and support um, and empower people. And Greg, um, final question to you about advice to employers, but also to employees, you know, in order to continue to develop and strengthen the foundations for um, psycho 
social, um, psychologically safe workplaces. What's what's some final piece of advice you'd be able to give, perhaps even to our public sector audience out there about how, how they can contribute to this? Well, look, I think it's important, incredibly important. We've we've recently seen the um, report from the RoboDebt Inquiry, which you know is is of major major concern. The findings of that, to I think, right across the public service. Uh, Comcare has been working for um, over the last few months with the uh, Public Service Commission on the relationship between integrity and um, uh, integrity and, and psychosocial health. Um, and I think that you know, for the traditional role of public servants, and particularly um, public servants who are involved in providing advice to, to governments, there are a range of issues that that we've got to ensure uh, in the. Um, uh, present in the workplace or present in those relationships in some cases. And I think also um, it's important that when we're looking at the public sector, that we think of it and the need for better information, better understanding, not just applying to um, the public service workers themselves, but also to our political masters. You know, we need to ensure that there's proper training um, to members of parliament, to ministers around what a respectful workplace means. You know, the traditional role of the frank and fearless advice of the public servant, a mentally uh, a healthy um, psychosocial work environment is absolutely critical for that. We can't um, uh, have confidence that uh, people will be able to give that frank and fearless advice if they feel at risk of intimidation or of uh, some other sort of punitive action, of isolation or whatever it may be. So there's got to be as I indicated earlier, that um, trust and respect is the foundation, I think, to to all of the relationships and the service delivery in the public sector. There's got to be that uh, open communication. There's got to be that opportunity for people to give alternative views, to give alternative alternative advice, and um, uh, for that to be received in a, in a respectful way, even if it's not accepted, even if it's not agreed with. And so it's really just cons- trying to consistently or constantly um, demonstrate proper practices in the workplace, proper uh, respect and dignity in the workplace, uh, to take account of employee well-being. As I indicated before, there is no question that the most effective organisations, the most productive organisations, the organisations that attract and retain staff are those that provide um, that support in the workplace, those that recognise the risks there are to workers uh, every single day. And so we've got to be consulting, we've got to be talking, we've got to be providing that safe space in the workplace for people to to bring themselves to work, to, to really throw themselves into work in a way where they're not um, feeling as if they're going to be subject to discrimination, harassment, um, isolation, or some other uh, sort of negative action against them. So it's really something where We've all got a part to, part to play in, employees themselves, teammates, managers, uh, business owners, politicians. We've got to really take this seriously, I think, and not just think it's something that, you know, is um, uh, a bit of a fad. I can assure you it's not a bit of a fad. It's one of the most potentially damaging um, uh, environments for, for work, for productivity, uh, for proper services being delivered to the public. So, you know, we really do need to take this seriously for the strength of the public sector. Mm, well, certainly, um, you know, the, the earlier data that you gave us about a third of 
Comcare claims are now in this space certainly highlights that this is really a, a not a trivial uh, issue at all. But uh, Sarah, perhaps just a final question to you because um, Greg raised that issue there about Frank and Fearless advice uh, and having that um, psychological safety uh, in providing um, Frank and Fearless advice as a as a as a practitioner as a as a senior public servant how. How do you feel um, about that? Um, this is obviously a topic of, of importance, but in terms of that role of providing frank and fearless advice? Yeah, absolutely. Um, psychological safety is absolutely essential to creating an open and consultative environment for public servants to be able to provide frank and fearless advice. Um, as we know, um, People become fearful when they don't feel safe, which negatively impacts on their confidence, their capacity to work effectively and and assess and manage risk, as well as relationships in the workplace. And unfortunately, that often flows into home. For me, it's about being authentic, um, open, creating trust, and that takes time and you've got to make the time to check in with staff and seek feedback. I, I make sure I have one-on-ones with, with all staff a couple of times a, a year and um, create that uh, open door and, and, and in, invitation for people to come and raise concerns with me if they're not um, able to manage them within teams. So on a day-to-day or a weekly basis, it really looks like um, creating as much opportunity as we can for communication, um, having honest conversations about risks and pressures and, um, and established um, uh, uh, mechanisms like our, our culture club to ensure that people are able to contribute to um, wellbeing programs, ideas and, and, um, and uh, uh opportunities to to learn and develop and feel um, empowered and excited about um, contributing and participating in in a, in 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 work well Sarah Hawke and Greg vines thank you so much for being so generous with your time and your expertise today this is clearly uh, a very important issue it's an important issue for productivity it's an important um, issue in terms of being able to manage uh, change uh, effectively. And indeed, with the, the issue being on the Secretary's board agenda, uh, certainly that's going to give it the profiles inside the APS that it's a, a constant work on because the, the loud and clear message from both of you is that this is, uh, you know, it's like painting the Harbour Bridge. It's a job that's never going to be done. And it's one of those things that you can only ever continuously improve. Uh, but to be aware, and it sounds like with both um, the Comcare resources and also with the uh, Public Service Commission resources as well, that there are um, there is an adequate amount of um, um, learning, training, and development, and um, those resources that are available to people to, uh, to to make sure that they're aware, but when they engage in these practices, that they do so uh, from a place of um, knowledge and understanding. So, thank you uh, very much for for being with us on Work with Purpose uh, today, and to you, the audience, thank you for coming back once again. Uh, indeed, if you'd like to follow IPA 
ACT and Content Group on LinkedIn. You will pick up uh, the latest information uh, from Work With Purpose, but also um, if you have any suggestions about the program, please email events at act.ipa.org.au if you have any suggestions or questions or otherwise. Work With Purpose is produced in collaboration between Content Group and the Institute of Public Administration of Australia, ACT, and supported by the Australian Public Service Commission. Uh, If you do have time to give us a rating or a review on your favourite podcast catcher, whether it's uh, Spotify, Apple uh, Podcasts, Stitcher, Google, uh, wherever you uh, gather your podcasts, if you did have time to give us a rating or review, it does help the podcast to be found. So a big thanks once again to Sarah Hawke and to Greg Vines for joining us uh, once again today. My name's David Pembroke, and we'll be back at the same time in two weeks with another episode of Work With Purpose. But for the moment, it's bye for now. Thank you.